In the late 1960s and early 1970s, Dr. Walter Michel a Stanford University, at Stanford University did some experiments, some research with, with children, uh, and these experiments have come to be called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiments. They've been, been done uh, from that point on and, and even uh, till now. Maybe you've heard of it. The experiment simply consisted, go ahead and show our little, uh, little guy up there. There he is. Uh, they, they, they put these children in a room and uh, gave them a marshmallow. And they basically said, you can eat that marshmallow right now if you want to, or if you wait until I come back, you can have two marshmallows. Now, some of you aren't tempted by marshmallows, but uh, they have done this repeatedly with many, many things. My favorite would be Oreos uh, that they've, they've done this experiment with. But the, initially, it was marshmallows. So they, uh, you can have one marshmallow, or if you wait, then you can have two marshmallows and double the fun. At any time, the child could could eat the marshmallow. Obviously, they videotaped and, and recorded uh, these these children and and watched what they did and and how they uh, either chose or didn't choose to wait. Uh, some some kids sucked it down and, and ate it right away. Some waited a little while, then couldn't wait anymore and, and ate it. Uh, and some held out and got the two marshmallows. This experiment tests a child's self-control or their ability to wait. Dr. Michel actually published a book just a couple of years ago uh, chronicling not only his research back then in the 70s and, uh, and 80s, uh, 60s and 70s, but also uh, he's, he's tracked some of these children throughout their lives. So now they're, they're uh, in their 30s and 40s. And, uh, and, and he's tracked them to see uh, what, uh, what, if he could draw any conclusions from, from uh, this experiment and how that's affected their lives. It appears that, uh, that the children who chose to wait, the children that chose to delay gratification at age four or five or six, later in life had higher SAT scores, better social and cognitive functioning. They were more apt to set and meet goals. They had lower levels of substance abuse, and they had a better sense of self-worth than those kids who were impatient. They even had a lower body mass index. I guess it is scientifically proven that good things come to those who wait. As I confessed last week, I don't like to wait. Uh, I can wait, and I do wait, but and I'm better than I uh, at it than I used to be. But I don't enjoy it. I'm not sure how that's affected my body mass index, but uh, uh, probably not for the for the better. It, it, it's interesting in all those studies with uh, with the kids that uh, the, those who who waited had. Um, Delay tactics, things that they did to help them wait, and it was things they did in order to pass the time to make it easier to wait. Some of them sang songs. Uh, they, uh, they they got up and walked around. Uh, they they started uh, telling themselves uh, what was coming to to help them remind themselves what was uh, what was on the way. The positives of waiting. A couple of them actually took a nap or appeared to take a nap. Uh, some of them picked their earwax. I mean, it was just just good stuff going on these delay tactics. I'm not promoting all of those things, especially public ear cleaning. Please don't uh, do that. But but I'm thinking that we, we've, we've got to not just wait during this Advent season, but it's important how we wait. 
Last week I told you that Advent is about waiting, and our sermon series for for these few weeks is all about waiting for Jesus. We're waiting to celebrate Jesus our Savior at Christmas, and we're also waiting for Jesus our Savior to return someday. We should be living with eternity in mind, and and if you think about it, uh, if if you really uh, think about the fact that we're living with eternity in mind, if that's true for you, then that really changes everything. I mean, if you're if you're living without eternity in mind, then you can just kind of do whatever you want, uh, whenever you want, uh, because there's nothing beyond this life to uh, to worry about any consequences beyond here and now. Uh, life, you live life and then you die. You know, eat eat, drink and be merry. Tomorrow we die, right? There's the if if you're if you're not living for eternity, then it affects how you live now. But if you are living for something more, if you're living for someone more, then that changes everything. If I'm waiting for something in the future, it changes how I live right now. So I guess I want to ask the question this morning, what are you doing while you're waiting? Like with the marshmallow experiment, many places where we uh, where we wait try to uh, help us with the waiting, right? You've got the doctor's office and the outdated uh, uh, magazines and, uh, you know, you're reading through things. Oh, I didn't. Oh, that's from 1997. Uh, and they're uh, reading reading through the uh, the Reader's Digest. I can't tell you how many 20 minute segments of uh, of Disney movies I've seen while waiting in the in the orthodontist office for uh, over the last several years. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, you probably do. Uh, a couple of years ago when I went to Cedar Point after not being there for a while, they have TVs in the lines at Cedar Point to help you not get, uh, not, not get overwhelmed with the long lines and, and, and waiting. Uh, the uh, Cracker Barrel has the little peg game, right? The little triangle peg game. You, you've played that, right? Uh, I'm usually left with four or more pegs, which means, have you read the back? I'm an ignoramus, is what that means. I don't know what that is, but that's what I seem to be. most places uh, that have waiting rooms at least provide Wi-Fi, right? And so these days we can at least get on our phones and scroll while we're waiting. So we usually do something while we're waiting. So what is it that we're so, uh, supposed to be doing while we're waiting for Jesus? Uh, how are we supposed to be living as we wait for our Savior. Are we just supposed to distract ourselves with the stuff of life until the clouds part and Jesus returns? Doesn't seem to be what's described in, in Scripture as far as how we are to wait. As we, as we anticipate Christ's return, there are several things, I think, that should characterize our waiting. And one thing that I want to, I want to look at today, uh, for just a few minutes is that, uh, that, that we, we shouldn't keep our waiting a secret. While you're waiting, tell someone what you're waiting for. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 14 is one of the passages that I think uh, jumps to, to mind as we think about uh, telling people about the waiting that we're doing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's uh, people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The beginning of that passage, I, I kind of uh, was was drawn to, jumped out at me. The 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 the, the phrase, "We are convinced." So, uh, we are convinced, and I guess I, I mean, am I convinced? Are you convinced? It, it starts right there. Uh, are you convinced that Jesus has come and that He's coming again? Uh, we have to settle that first, or none of the rest of it matters. Because if we're not convinced about it, if it's not real. Like Teresa saying just a few minutes ago, if it's just stories, if it's just this holiday, if it's just uh, some stuff that, that that they talk about in church, then it's it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But 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 if we're convinced that Jesus is real, that He really came, that He really died to pay the penalty for our sins, that He really loves us, uh, that that He's really coming back again, uh, if that's what we believe, if we're we're convinced by it, then it then it affects how we live. Because we're convinced of it, we, uh, as that passage says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If, if, if you're not convinced of it, if you don't believe it, you will regard people from a worldly, temporary, non-eternal point of view, right? But, but, but once you're convinced, you, you won't do that. I, I think that some of us need to hear that uh, uh, Today, maybe you don't need to hear anything else today, just that. Because although you've been around church and, and around religion, maybe a long time, maybe just a little bit of time, but, but maybe you're just not convinced of it yet. Maybe it's just, just this, this stuff of religion or this stuff of stories and it hasn't really become real. I mean, that's okay. I, sort of. I mean, we're all on our own spiritual journey, right? And so you have to get to that place uh, spiritually. You have to get to that place in, in your relationship with God that, that, that he convinces you, that, 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 uh, that, that he draws you to himself. He's, he's, he's seeking you out. He desires that for you. We have to, we have to get there on our own. But I'm, I'm concerned about it if you're dragging your feet because we are... As we said last week, eagerly awaiting a savior who is coming and could come at any time and we need to be prepared. I want you to be convinced of this. And if you're not convinced, you certainly won't tell anybody else about it. Uh, I mean, once, once you're convinced, once you've experienced Jesus for yourself, you'll be compelled to share him with others. Because if this is true, it, it matters for everyone. And, and that's the, the, the next little point there. Not all, because we're convinced, then Christ's love compels us. We are compelled. Because God so loved the world, because Jesus uh, loved you enough to be born on this planet, because you've experienced the grace and love and blessing and forgiveness of God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, <laughs> you and I are compelled to share God's love with other people, to, to, to tell them what we're waiting for. The Greek word uh, translated compels 
actually means seized by or controlled by. So, so we could literally read that verse there. Uh, Christ's love has, se- has so seized us, it controls us. Christ's love has so seized us, it controls us. The love of God, the Christmas story, the, the story of Jesus and his love, the truth that Jesus has come, he is here, and he is coming again. Once we're convinced of that, it literally controls our lives. It's the context where we live. It's, it's what we believe about life and the world and our place in it. So if Jesus loves me, he loves everyone. And if Jesus came for me, he came for everyone. If Jesus died for me, he died for everyone. And if Jesus came on that first Christmas for everyone, and he's coming back for everyone, and everyone needs to know that. If you're convinced that this stuff is true, then it's true not just for you, but it's true for everyone. And so if you're convinced that that's true, then you'll be compelled to share it. You're compelled, controlled, seized by it. God's love has so seized you, you just can't help but it just kind of oozes out. Kind of like earwax. There's a theme there, right? Oh, I'm just kidding. That's awful. That's awful. What does it look like? How are we compelled? Well, we're compelled to do a lot of things. Just a couple of things I want to highlight today. One thing I think that we're going to be compelled to do is that we're compelled to notice. Verse 16 that says, from now on, because we're seized by the love of God, we're not looking at people the same way. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, we see people like God sees people. They're lost and confused and broken, aimless, precious, in need of a Savior. And we know the Savior. In fact, we're waiting for him right now, right? But we have Netflix and a family and a job and problems of our own and and, and sharing the truth of a loving God and, and life for all eternity seems to get pushed further and further down the priority list. I mean, there's all this waiting. Many times we get distracted in the waiting. I don't think we intend to do that. We don't intend to not share Christ with other people. I mean, if I were to ask you today, you would, you would wholeheartedly agree that Christ's love is a driving force in your life, the driving force in your life. But we get so used to look at, looking at people. I know I do. We get used to looking at people from a worldly point of view, right? A temporary point of view. A, a point of view that doesn't keep eternity in mind. But what if that changed? What if we looked at everyone spiritually? What if we looked at everyone eternally from God's perspective? If if we did, I, I think one thing we would do is just plain notice. We would just notice people more. Uh, I, I think we live our, our busy lives insulated from the very people that we should be uh, pointing toward Jesus. Once we start noticing people, we just literally, we notice, oh, there's these, it's not just somebody that's driving by, but there's actually a person in that car. It's not just somebody at the, the, the register, but there's actually a person, a soul that's, uh, that's behind that, that, uh, that cash register. There's actually people in this, there's, there's actually, there, there are people, we We'd start to notice that there are people, that there are souls around us. And once we start noticing people, we look at them with eternity in mind. People for whom Christ came. People for whom Christ is coming again. So I would challenge you to ask God to change your vision. To change how you look at people. Ask God to help you see people like he sees them. While you're waiting... Notice, 
we're compelled to notice. I, I think we're also compelled to tell. Uh, just seeing them from eternal perspective isn't enough. That's a great first step, but we've got to act on it. We, we have to tell them the difference that God's love has made, uh, in our lives. And, and we have to tell them the, the, the truth that we know. <laughs> The truth that we've experienced for ourselves. The, the, the shepherds in the Christmas story were compelled to share the story of Jesus, right? Uh, Luke 2 says that, that they, quote, spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So this, this, uh, uh, band of, of, uh, shepherds, probably thieves, probably dirty. It's about 3 a.m. in, uh, in, in Bethlehem and, uh, they are compelled to spread the word right at that moment, right then throughout the city. Uh, they were compelled to spread. It's almost as if they were con- so convinced of it that they couldn't help but to tell. They were compelled. They were seized in such a way that they had to tell. They had a message from God, and they wanted to let everyone know. You and I have a message from God. Jesus has come. He is here, and he is coming again. We have a message from God. Are we letting anybody know? Noticing leads to telling. Seeing people like God sees them will do wonders toward pushing us to share the life-changing message of, of God's love and grace. It really is life-changing. There in that passage, it, it says, verse 17, uh, it says that it's like starting life all over again. We're a new creation in Christ. This is a transforming thing in our lives. When we start following Jesus, it's like li- living a whole new life, brand new. So if you see someone that God has placed in your life, uh, that you see that they're heading down a, a dead-end road... You'll do what you can to turn them around. There are so many dead ends in, in life. So many places that, that don't take us to the eternal life that God desires for us. So many things that people are living for that won't take them where they really need to go. Sinful choices, addictions, selfishness, the desire for success, the pursuit of, uh, of money. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And none of that takes us to God. If we look at people with eternity in mind, will be seized by that deep desire to help them see how to experience eternal life, to be a new creation, born anew in the love of Christ. It's, it's almost like we have this wonderful secret, and, and we want to let everybody in on it. For several months now, our uh, church has had a, a vision team meeting. We've, we've met all fall and, uh, and, and are continuing on and uh, basically kind of drilling down on, okay, we've, uh, we've been around here for a while. And we've got a great church and we're doing some great things, but, but let's get focused on exactly who we are and why we're here and what our community is like and how can we be most effective in doing what God desires. So the vision team has been working on all the, you know, just little questions like that, just little things, uh, just, uh, Focusing on, on on what it is the 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 reason that uh, that we're here and what God wants us to do. So I, I mean, uh, the reason that we're here is not so that we can have a great band, although we have a great band, right? Wait, I was hoping for a little. Although we have a great band, right? Okay, at least the band should have clapped. Come on. It's it's the reason that we're here is not so that we can pay the mortgage on the building. Although we need to keep paying the mortgage on the building. I knew I wouldn't get any clapping for that. That's okay. We're not just here to have have meetings or to have 
parties like uh, we had the Christmas party last night. We're not just here to have fun together, although we need to always be doing those things too. That's important. That's a, we, we need to be doing those things. It, it, we're certainly not just here to, uh, to, to listen to the most amazing sermons in the world because heaven knows that's not happening. No, no, no. You don't mean it. No, forget it. Someone a long time ago said that the church is the only institution that exists for its non-members. Catch that? The only institution that exists for the people that aren't a part of it yet. We, we exist not for us, but for the people that we hope will be us someday. We're not just here for us. So over the past few months, the vision team has been wrestling with all of that, and, and, and we're partway along the process. And, and, and I think that we've come up with a pretty cool uh, way to say why we're here. And again, we're still in the, in the process, and we're still developing all of this, but we've come up with this, with this, uh, this, this one little, little phrase that I think helps, us, uh, helps take us down the road, lead us down the, down the road. And I, I, vision team, I, um, I think I'm not supposed to tell but I'm going to leak it today. So don't tell anybody that, no, you can tell. But, but don't tell, we've had a, a consultant guy that's been leading, don't tell Mike that I, that I let you know, okay? No. Uh, but so just forgive me, Vision Team, if I wasn't supposed to say this, but, but, but here's where we're at. This is what we've, we've, uh, we've kind of drilled down on. Go ahead and pull it up there. We live to love people to life. We live to love people to life. Kind of catchy, isn't it? Kind of helps it. You'll be hearing a whole lot more about that in the, in the coming months. In the meantime, I want you to kind of bounce that off your, uh, around your head and maybe in your heart and kind of, well, what does that mean? It's not just something that the pastor does, but it's something that we do in our lives and as a church corporately. Uh, we're, we live to love people to life. Eternal life. There's, there's life. There's life with God to be enjoyed. And it's not just uh, enjoyed by you and me, but everyone needs to hear that there's life beyond anything we could possibly imagine that is, uh, that is in store for us. I tried to paint that picture for you last week. If you weren't here, uh, you can listen to that online. But uh, uh, it's a picture of, of being face-to-face with Jesus. Uh, suffering and pain and death are, are, are gone. It's just not... an issue at all anymore no more suffering or pain or death there's no more disease no more anxiety instead there's peace that passes all understanding people need to know about that (laughs) while while we're waiting let's tell them (laughs) while we're waiting we need to let it let it be heard we need to love people to life we need to love them enough to let them know about the life that's in store we need to love god enough to let him use us to spread that word to them. How are you passing the time while you wait? There's so many things that can distract us while we wait. They're fun things, they're, they're, they're good things, and that's, that's fine, but we can't let those things keep us from telling people about what we're waiting for. Are you convinced of this stuff? Is it real to you? Is this, is this real, honest to goodness truth that we're, we're celebrating as we, as we meet, as we, as we live our lives? Is it real? Are you convinced of it? If so, you're compelled to tell, to let other people know that Jesus came. He is here and he is coming again.
You might think that that is some overwhelming thing and there's no way I could share, uh, possibly share all the theology and all the stuff of all that. Well, it could simply start out as an invitation. Two weeks from today, Christmas Eve service, uh, many folks, even if they're, they're not predisposed, all the statistics would say, most folks would say yes, if you do invite them to church and they'll come, uh, come with you at least once. Uh, but even, especially at Christmas, it's an, it's an open invitation that most folks are open to. Uh, and, and so I would challenge you, I would invite you to invite someone. So, so pray each day for the Holy Spirit to, to, to lead you to the, the people or the, the, the family, the person that, uh, that God would, would have you to invite, uh, this, this Christmas. Pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to notice the world around you and the people in it. Pray for the Holy Spirit to, to convince you, uh, that, that this stuff is real and it's important. Pray for the Holy Spirit to, to compel you to share the message of life with people, to love people to life. It could be as simple as, uh, uh, as uh, while you're waiting <laughs> in the doctor's office and you're using their Wi-Fi and you're scrolling on Facebook and you see that the, that the church has posted an invitation to an event called Christmas Eve service, which we have, just letting you know. And you could hit the button, share, with you guys sharing that, it's a whole lot better than all oh, the pastor shared another thing on. Uh, Facebook has this cool little al- algorithm stuff that the more people that do stuff there uh, toward an, a certain event or a certain post, then it uh, direct it shows it to more people and does more things. This this world in which we live is in in one way so much more connected than ever before, and yet we tend to keep things more to ourselves than ever before. So I would challenge you to use all the resources that you have, whether that's uh, 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 Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or whether that's an invitation that somebody put on your seat this morning, or whether that's simply a relationship with someone and God helps you to see them with his eyes and to compel you to let them know that there is life to be known, life with him. We live to love people to life. During this Advent season, while you're waiting, tell someone. Let's stand together. Gracious Father God, what an amazing, amazing thing that we have the the privilege of having a relationship with you now. Because you sent your son so many years ago and because your Holy Spirit lives with us even now. And Lord, we, we thank you that we have the hope of life with you face to face for all eternity. Lord, I pray that in the waiting, you would help us to live differently, to love differently, to be compelled to represent you well in the world where we live. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, that you will awaken us to the, the, the people around us and that we'll follow you each step of the way as you lead us toward, toward uh, inviting, toward sharing, toward, uh, toward just connecting with folks maybe more than we ever have before. Lord, we thank you so much for your love, and we thank you for this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.